0: Welcome everyone. Tonight we're talking about the the God of family and it's kind of when we start talking about our families we kind of get defensive a little bit because that's who we are. That's kind of a defining thing in our lives and so it seems, though, that the more defining something is in our lives, the more opportunity it has to become an idol in our lives. Um, <clears throat> I want to start out with um, just reading Matthew uh, 22, 34 uh, through 40. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And I think it's important as we read that to keep in mind that the order that, this, that it shows up, because that's really the rub when it comes to um, people in our lives, whether it's family, close friends, or whatever, that, that we start to rely on, and they start to become gods to us. It's, it's not that we should love people less, because here's the command that we're to love our neighbor, and our family is certainly part of the neighborhood, but we can't love them more than we love God, or they have become idols in our lives. A good way to picture it, I think, is um is picturing your life as a bicycle wheel. And all the spokes off that wheel are important relationships in our lives. It might be our our mom and our dad, our spouse, our children, our siblings. Um those are the spokes of the wheel, and we tend to want to make God one of the spokes in the wheel. But God is the hub of that wheel that all the spokes come out of and radiate from. And so when, when we have God in his proper place, then all the other relationships work as they should. When we disorder those relationships, that's when they tend to cause us problems. Our relationship to God is more basic to who we are and why we have been created. We are intended to love our children, our parents, our spouses, our siblings, but only in the context of our primary foundational love of God. Worship is for God alone. We're to honor our parents but we're never to worship them. We're to love our spouses, but we're not to worship them. Worship is only for God. He must be our deepest love, and actually he's the source of every other love. For only when we love God properly can we begin to love others properly. And this, this is what we talked, I think, last week about buttoning our shirts. You get the top button right and everything else kind of falls into place. You get that one wrong, and by the time you get the bottom, you're all messed up. And this this is a top button truth, as we said. Have you ever seen someone that you felt like loved a parent or a spouse or a child more than they love God? and thus making that an idol in their lives. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, called this disordered loves. They're legitimate objects of our love, but they've fallen out of order because a parent should love a child, and a child should love a parent. Spouses should love each other. And because that love is there, it's easy for these relationships to be elevated to false gods. We're doing something we're supposed to be doing. We just don't realize sometimes that we've gotten them out of order. And sometimes we'll say, Yes, but I can't love my children less, or I can't love my spouse less. And the, the message of the, this book is no, you can't. You love them a lot. But we we're called to love them differently, and that's kind of the the theme of the book that we're not to love less, we're just to love differently. We love them in context to our primary devotion to God, and when we do that it's it's a far greater, healthier, and fruitful love. I want to read first uh, John. Four, beginning with verse 7 through the end of the chapter. This is a, a chapter on love and, and how we love others, how we love God, where love comes from. It says, Dear friends, beginning in verse 7, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love... Whoever loves lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In the world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So these loves are all tied together, but the source of the love is God. And it it tells us that, that love is from God, and because we have seen what that is like in our lives, <clears throat> we're able to demonstrate that to other people and to love them as God intended us to love them. If, if they become more important than God, then we're not loving them properly. The story of Abraham and Isaac is one that... Uh, when you think about it in, in our turn, in terms of today, it's it's really tough to put yourself in, in Abraham's position. I guess in any day that would be tough. <clears throat> but a story like that can help us can sometimes make us ask: if we're to prove our love and commitment to God, is He greater than anyone or anything else? And when we think about the tests that Abraham went through, um, first of all, in his old age, God comes and promises that they're going to have a child. And did they have a child right away? They had to wait a few years, didn't they? A few. <laughs> and they. it got to the point where Sarah was 90 years old. I mean, how many women have babies at 90? How many even want to have babies at 90? <laughs> and, But they waited because God had made the promise and they believed God and they trusted him. <clears throat> but that was the easy test. That was the midterm, so to speak. The final comes in, in uh, Genesis 22. And we're going to read this uh, chapter because I think it, It demonstrates in the positive how our relationships with others should be uh, in comparison with God. So Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I, go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So. It's easy, isn't it? It's simple. It's not easy. (laughs) So. How would we measure up? On my self-reflection, it wasn't so well. <laughs> when I think about my grandkids, there's, boy, don't don't ask me to do that.
1: The boy talks about C.S. Lewis' divorce. And it, it reminded me a while since I read it. it me and there was that one person in there and she, she lost her son. And it was a parable. And uh, people were on the way to heaven or else. And there's a way station. And somebody from heaven, it wasn't God, but somebody from heaven came and met her. And her brother met her, but she was looking for her son. Right. And she says, First you have to he said, first you have to seek God. And then all else us fall into place. Right. And she couldn't do that because she had, she, had, well, she had a shrine after he died of her son, and she could not put God before her son. And, and that reminded me of uh, Peter O'Creese's Between Heaven and Earth. Uh, on November the 22nd, I think it was the uh, 22nd, John F. Kennedy died, and it overshadowed uh, the fact that Alexis Huxley and C.S. Lewis also died on the same day. And C.S., I mean, Grief uh, oh, uh, wrote this book Between Heaven and Earth, the very same thing we we're talking about, but from the eyes of an agnostic, an atheist, and a Christian. And and it was only the Christian that could put God first at the, at that end. And it, and it really
0: brings to point what you're, what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, the... the... Parallels, or the, what Jeff's talking about, the, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Um, read it, I guess, That's for those that are listening online. Um, that's, the story in that is, is of a lady, like you said, that went to heaven, or she was on her way to heaven. Her son had previously died, and anyway, she had to want to go to heaven for the sake of God himself rather than for the sake of seeing her son again. And that was something that she just couldn't couldn't get to. And uh, anyway, next next week we'll talk. We'll flesh that out a little bit more because it's going to be the God of self rather than family. And I think that's even the harder one to uh, to give up and to to seek God for God's sake and not for my own personal gain. One thing I, that. Studying for this lesson, reading this chapter through several times, was, were the parallels drawn between um, what God is asking Abraham to do and then what God himself did a couple thousand years later. I mean, it, God tells Abraham to do the exact thing that God is going to do himself. And God, God can see that. He, he's outside of time. He knows what's going to happen, and and it actually, in the book, it talks about that the the area where Mount Moriah, where God sent Abraham, was actually where Christ was crucified. And so I thought that was an an interesting parallel. And when you when you look at him, I mean, everything it is. I mean, Isaac carried the wood that was for the sacrifice that he was going to be. Christ carried the the wood of the sacrifice that he was going to make and and God has God has provided he provided for Abraham and he has provided for us through his sacrifice yes ma'am I think of
2: Eddie's lessons when he talks about abiding in Jude talks about abiding in his love. And I I realized that before I could love, I had to learn to abide in his love and receive his love. Not just that he died on the cross for me, but learning to abide and let him love me is when I could truly start loving others.
0: Right. So for those of you that don't remember if Eddie taught in the book of Jude, (laughs) there's your reminder. It was only a week or two. It's such a short book; nobody could stretch that out for months. <laughs> but the this, this story of of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, it has it became the theme of the Bible itself. Like I said, I mean it's the it's the a parallel of what Jesus went through um, to be a sacrifice for us. And I think it's important for us to realize that God knew what he was asking Abraham to do because Abraham I mean it wasn't that God was some cosmic deity that says do this not realizing what a human would feel like having that request made because God did the very the very thing that he was asking Abraham to do and as we go as we look through the the story we're tipped off at the beginning I mean the very first verse there it says God tested Abraham. So, so we, we know it's going to be a test. Abraham didn't have the luxury of reading it first. He had to live it, and then we get to read it. And we also know that through Scripture, God has never required a human sacrifice. In fact, in multiple passages, it's condemned and, and forbidden. But Scripture hadn't been written yet for Abraham to read. So while we know it was a test Abraham didn't know it was a test but Abraham trusted God and it's important too I think to realize how much Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac and like I said he was the son of promise he'd been promised God he made the promise and then Abraham got impatient Hey, or maybe Sarah got impatient and gave Abraham her, her handmaiden, um, which caused a whole lot of problems in itself. But, but Abraham trusted God and knew, he reasoned that if God was going to require this of him, that he would raise him from the dead. He just he, just, he knew what God, what God was, go- that he would deliver on his promises.
2: What do you suppose Sarah thought about this?
0: I've wondered about that. I don't. It doesn't say a word about her. I don't know if she had any say in the matter or not, since it's a patriarchal society. But I imagine she probably put a bug in his ear if you hurt that boy. <laughs> but
2: yeah. Abraham may not have told her of the conversation that he and God had.
0: Yeah. Well, sometimes you wonder. I mean, Sarah. When you talk about Abraham's faith, Sarah seemed to have wavered a lot more than Abraham did because when, when the promise was made that they, she would have a son, what was her reaction? Ha! <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs> she laughed, and that's that's what Isaac means is laughter. And so, and then, but I, it'd be interesting to know if she knew what, what was up if Abraham said, well, God told me to go sacrifice Isaac, so here we go. Um, I like to think he didn't tell her, but...
2: <laughs> Alan, that's a little unfair. Abraham laughed, too. Sarah laughed, too. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true.
2: <laughs> One of the speakers at a uh, Bible class and so forth painted the picture of Sarah standing at the tent looking for Abraham and Isaac to return. And how she was, she was just lost. She didn't know where they were, really what they were doing. But she stood there day after day looking at every sunrise to see if she could find
0: him. Yeah. But and I mean I think that Sarah had a huge amount of faith as well because and when you look at at Abraham's response is when he when they went to the place to make the sacrifice he told the servants to stay here it said the boy and I are going to go worship and then we're going to come back. So so even though God had told him what the what he was to do his faith was strong enough that he told them that they were both coming back. I think that's a very interesting point uh, when you talk about Abraham's faith. As we've talked about in most of the classes uh, from out of this book, the more beautiful something is, the more capacity it has to become an idol, the more we fear losing something, uh, the more likely I am to worship it. And I think the challenge for us is, can we love the gift in such a way that makes us love the giver all the more? And I think if we if we look at people, not as uh, our salvation or not as somebody that we need to make our lives complete, because that's where God comes in. But if we look at people and our relationships and family um, as, as people to love and in relationship to why, why we love, I mean, because God first loved us. Um, part of the, the book talks about disordered loves, and one thing I got kind of out of that uh, passage the most, I guess, was that we love others best when we love God the most. And then under that, there were, there were several um, headings that were talking about things that, were, that make our relationships uh, dysfunctional and one was unrealistic pressure and under that heading it was talking about kind of the attitude of i'm putting all of my happiness and well-being in your hands make me happy how many how many want that job <laughs> but as as we as we think about this have you have we seen people that were that way were that whether it's a child or a spouse or a parent or somebody that we look to as our fulfillment. And that's, that's a tough, that's a lot of pressure to put somebody under.
1: You know, uh, uh, this talks about loving our, our spouse or our children uh, more than God. And, and you may get into this next week. But you know the thought crossed my mind is, you know, every one of us would lay down their lives for their spouse and their children. Would we lay down our lives for God? You know, that's that's a hard philosophical question to answer. Right. To her head and said, you know, renounce Jesus or die. Which
0: yeah. Says, I can't. And they shot her. Yeah. Another, another heading it talked about was unreached expectations. And under this one it talked, talked about like Little League. How many people do you see acting out at Little League games or or hear about the horror stories? Um, or the, the fact that your children, um, they need to bring home good report cards. I mean, that's important, isn't it? You want to get a good job, so I'm, you're not on my payroll all your life. And we live in a society of, of the helicopter parent. Um, kind of brag about, my whole life is wrapped up in my kids. Like it's a good thing.
1: <laughs> and, um, yeah. in that regard, parent can worship their children if they're putting their children's activities ahead of God and ahead of being in church? Yep.
0: Well, another way that that we can, I guess, worship our kids would be to allow them to control us um, through manipulation or whatever. I mean, we, we give in to their every whim, things like that, where that it becomes a form of sacrifice to our kids. Unreasonable disappointment was another heading. And under this, it was thinking that we can create heaven by having a great family. And who doesn't want a great family? But reality is families are messy, am I right? (laughs) Right? Everybody's kids have done exactly what you want them to do every time, right? (laughs) No disappointments there. (laughs) Undeserved criticism. Am I critical of others for the emptiness I feel inside? How many times have we Gotten a little irritated with somebody else because they didn't make me happy, and when when we think that, we think that that's they're not made people aren't made to do that. They're not made made to fulfill me. That's that's God's job to give me the fulfillment that I desire. And then unfair comparisons was another one that my kids aren't as smart, my spouse isn't as good, my parents aren't as good whatever it is and you think about that I've seen it so often with kids when when they finally raise to meet our expectations our expectations continue to go up so they never really meet those expectations and then to to kind of sum up the class for today I would say that we shouldn't love less. We shouldn't that shouldn't be on our radar because we we've, we've seen from the scriptures that we've read that that we're to love others. I mean that's what we should be about. But we should love people differently. We love them out of our love for God, out of obedience to him, not because we're looking for something from them necessarily, but because God is love, and he has created people and created us to love them. And so if we can order our lives and our loves in such a way that we're loving people in reflection and in response to God's love for us, then we're less likely that we're going to have family become an idol in our lives. Thank you. Any comments? Richard.
1: I was thinking about the Isaac and Abraham story. And one lesson that we have never thought of about, tonight, I guess, is Isaac he was strong enough to carry that wood, so he wasn't looking cute. And yet he I guess allowed himself to be tied up and put on the altar. He had to have a relationship to do that.
0: <laughs> right.
1: In our parents, our fathers, and especially our relationship to God, trusting in Him that I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to lie on the sacrifice for you.
0: Yeah. like we, we wondered, what did Sarah know? Did she know that this was going to happen? Did Isaac know it?
2: I think it's hard to measure family because we can justify it so easy. Yes. You know, how do you know when we I mean, we know if you're... Family's more important, but you can always
1: say, "Well, that's."
0: I'm supposed to love them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's
1: not money or success or
0: things. Yep. Okay. Next week, we're going to finish out the book, and we're going to do the God of Self. And really, when you boil it down, probably every one we've looked at. Is bowing down to the god of self but we're going to look at that a little bit next week and then the following week will be the last week of the class and we're going to kind of do a wrap-up and talk about why why the idols are such a big deal and why not why putting god first kind of orders everything else as it should be and life goes as god designed it to go so uh, thank you all for being here and uh
2: of making disciples of all nations.